Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to a conversation with, uh, today we have um, an amazingly talented guest uh, who works at Ubisoft currently. I think, I I believe she's worked there since close to, no, don't quote me on this, close to the beginning of time. I think she's been there for a really long time. I know she worked on Pinocchio 3000 um, before that. Um, This is only because I spied on her a little bit on LinkedIn, but I've always known Stephanie as someone who works at Ubisoft because that's where I met her. Um, And uh, she, uh, like many here, started in um, animation and sort of, you know, like so many people we have on the show, they start with animation or something else even, and then ended up in animation. But just by a series of events and, you know, forks in the road, she found herself doing something that's obviously very related to animation and still leans into animation, but is a bit more specific. She does um, what's called realization direction um, and around these parts, but I think otherwise uh, you could probably call that uh, cinematic direction. She She's the one who's uh, focused on directing the the cutscenes and a lot of these sort of the more, um, the more narrative aspects of a game. I'll let her explain that a little bit more because I think it's a really interesting topic. But before I do that let's bring in david david hello brent did you not work on pinocchio 3000 as well i did work on pinocchio 3000 uh, did as you well. did so you know in montreal that there was like 12 project yeah. <laughs> so, so I was, oh you're on that project yeah that's Actually, it like... funny story uh, uh, steph and i went to the same school interdeck here in montreal uh, but she yes. i graduated one year before so she literally mm. started right uh, as i left so mm. we we met each other on uh, pinocchio 3 okay thousand at a time that we were all very much fr- figuring out how yeah. this cg thing was working and we yeah. had to uh, you know, create an animated feature at the, uh, the, uh, oh, at the yeah. same time. Perfect. Or, you know, early to 2000. The good old but, days. Uh, yeah. And that's when, after that, as you said, Steph went on to go on the dark side of video game and, <laughs> and pretty much stayed. So I have a few yeah. questions. <laughs> they just her. grabbed her and they didn't let her go. It's uh, it's funny. I, Pinocchio 3000 doesn't even sound right because around these parts where it was made, it's Pinocchio 3000. And mm-hmm. uh, it's like, it feels weird even saying it out loud, even though I'm English. But um, anyways, that's that's interesting that you had like, you've, you've known each other for a very, very, like you met a long time ago because Pinocchio 3000, what was that year? Was that 2004? 2002 2003 okay so that would that would mean that steph has probably been at ubisoft for 17 years now yes but (laughs) but i know i know that women don't like talking about age or having an indication of time so don't worry stephanie is 100 percent ageless she hasn't aged a day since that time so this whole conversation of time frames doesn't really matter so disregard all that let's bring her in and then she can defend herself (laughs) stephanie how are you he's right 17 years it's oh, it's crazy. crazy. You blink and it's gone. It's just nuts. Much has changed. Actually, it's almost almost eighteen in March. It's gonna be eighteen years. That's crazy. How many <sighs> how many crew gift have you received over time for? <laughs> hey, two years. Hey, five years. I have years, a lot hey, of uh, game hoodies. Mm, mm. 
Lots of, it's the, the, the swag shelf back there. Uh, the backpack and Udi's. Did you like? Was it when you went to Ubisoft? Did you stay? Like, have you you didn't did didn't you didn't go away for a while and then come back? Have you been at Ubisoft ever since you started there back in like two thousand and four ish, five ish? I I got lucky. I, I've had lots of different opportunities. I started. Yeah. Uh, at first, they hired me to do lip sync, which is what I did on Pinocchio. Mm -hmm. I was I, I was even doing like the facial shapes, doing some modeling um, to create the facial setups. And the our our, our producer there uh, was my teacher at Interdeck, and he goes like, you know, Steph was pretty good at animating. Maybe we could give her a chance. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> and <laughs> they great. they gave me the chance to uh, animate uh, at the cinematic studio, uh, and I. Do you want to hear a funny story? I love funny stories. <laughs> um, since like I, I hadn't animated on a big production besides doing lip sync and lip sync, you just put the phonemes where they should be and things like that. And we weren't even doing the facial. We were sending that off to the animation teams like uh, David was animating the facial, uh, the expressions. Um, so I hadn't worked that much on some production. And then I got the mm -hmm. chance to animate some of the uh, cutscenes on Prince of Persia. And our team lead at the point wasn't too sure. He had these two new animators that wanted to try and like, okay, but it's a really crunch. It was Omar Morrissey and I really love him and he knows this story now. So it's not yeah. news to him. Um, <laughs> we need to get and, him on the show, by the way. He's, he's, he's eluded the show for far too long. So we got to get him on here. Yep. And like he said, okay, girls, I, I trust you. If you tell me you can do this, like uh, come up with a plan. Show me all your stuff. I'm like, hey, we think we can do all these shots. Uh, this is what we want to go uh, do with them. He goes, okay, okay, okay. I, I trust you. Like, I really felt like he trusted us. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to have that, you know, junior confidence when you're 20. Mm. You feel you can take on the world. Mm. I was like, yeah, sure, I can do this. And he goes, I'll go. Uh, I want to see your blocking uh, next week. I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. So he went away. And I turned uh, uh, to Audrey. I said, so exactly what is blocking? <laughs> <laughs> what did I just agree to do in so, a week? What is and I realized that at Interdeck, they, they never showed me anything like oh, no. or things like they that. They didn't show us animation. They show us the software. That's yeah. what Exactly. Learned. They showed us how to, it was more like a 3D graphics, I'd say, uh, class. Which uh, a few years afterwards, uh, working at Ubisoft, I said, like, you know, I need to meet, I, need, I want to learn more about animation. Uh, I'm, try, I'm tired of just trying to learn on top of everything while I'm trying to get my shots up. So I did Animation Mentor and it, it opened a whole new world to me. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's why I keep getting that comment. And yeah. that's why everything starts from the hips. And I have to redo my shot completely when my hips are wrong. Uh, so, oh, it helped so much. <laughs> so it, it, it's funny because I went through the, the, the same thing, my first job getting out of internet and having no idea. I mean, I know how to work with, you know, a, a keyframe and how to adjust uh, key curves and, and all that. But, uh, by default, you just start animating straight ahead. And you do, you take a couple of days to do your entire animation. You show it for the first time, like, yeah, that's really bad. And then you're like, oh no, oh God, what do I do now? How can I even fix this? So I can totally relate to this. And then you discover you know, blocking or even step blocking and all that. You're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot more sense to do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I'm, 
uh, sorry, Brent. Uh, I'm I'm curious the um, the journey from starting from animation to where you, you are today. It, it, was that a series of happy accident, or there was rapidly a master plan to go towards where you're you're at today? No master plan, of course. Like <laughs> when I started with Pinocchio, I was like, okay, I'm making a feature film. Next stop, Pixar. Um, that didn't happen. So after Pinocchio, I was like, you know what? I, I really like the technical aspect. So maybe games might be interesting. Right now, I still think sometimes I would have liked to do gameplay animation because of the whole systemic part of it. Like it's it's a puzzle trying to find all the animations you need. Like I, they have a lot of admiration uh, from my part. And I love the logic behind it. Uh, but I was closer to the cinematic. So I went to the cinematic studio. Uh, for a good period, at some point, they stopped making uh, pre-rendered cinematics uh, at Ubisoft for a certain period of time. So I had to rethink my future. I had to actually <laughs> even bought my first condo at the same time. And I was out of the notary and got the saying like, okay, they're closing the studio. I was like, this is great. Um, but they, were, they, they placed it. And there was an opportunity to work on Assassins. Uh, Assassin's yeah. 3 at the time. And they were trying to start, uh, the, the in-game cinematics were getting a whole lot more high-res at the moment. Uh, so this is where my, my knowledge of facial animation was a little niche and that's how I made my way there. Uh, mm -hmm. it, like they had doubled the amount of bones on the face and people weren't used to, to work with that many bones uh, in gameplay. So that's how I made my way to, to the brand, and I stayed there. I've been, I think, on almost every assassin since AC3. Um, and it's she goes on assassins, you don't go back. So they say so many people, like a lot of people, have been on that brand for a very, very long time because it's like it's an well, interesting it's brand, fun. and it's yeah. it changes. Uh, it changes a setting every time you learn about history. So I like it, mm -hmm. and it's during that. Um, that project that our animation uh, director who was uh, directing the cinematic said, uh, okay, Steph, uh, you're taking uh, one chapter uh, of the game. I was like, you want me to animate the, all the cinematics in that chapter? He goes, no, I want you to go to mocap studio and you direct oh, yes. the actor. And you're like, I was like, I was like think about it. It was Dave yeah. Wilkinson. <laughs> he said, think about it and you tell me uh, what you want to do. I was like, and then I went to see him and like, it's the kind of opportunity. If I say no, now I'm going to regret it, right? Like it doesn't come along that many times. So yeah, I'm going to do it. And I had a lot of fun. <laughs> it was so much fun to work with the actors. Um, uh, think of a whole chapter. It was the, the chapter where everything goes wrong for Connor. Uh, <laughs> Like you realize your dad's a traitor. You realize that even Washington traded, uh, kind of used you. And he even goes back to his village. It's burning. And the actor was very, um, it was like uh, how he said that that's how Native uh, Americans, would they keep their, uh, their cool all the time. But I was like, okay, for this shot, all hell broke loose for you. So could we, could we just crank up the, mm. the, the emotion. So I was super happy for once you could see like Connor um, feeling completely desperate. Unfortunately, 
all the scenes uh, that were in uh, Mohawk village were translated in Mohawk. So we completely mm. lost that wow. cool performance from Noah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> so, uh, so, that was, uh, but, so that was my first taste of uh, directing, and I really enjoyed it. And Steph, I'm just curious, why do you think that they asked you specifically? Did you already had showed some interest? Did you already help on another shoot? How this did, did it come about? Because it's not any animator that will be given the opportunity to direct actors, because there, there are some... I mean, it's good to have some technical knowledge uh, about animation in general, because that's okay. You know what kind of data you need to bring in the cinematic, but directing actor is almost like a completely different uh, uh, skill that you have to develop in animation. Um, it's true that before that, uh, I, well, I was maybe a bit very opinionated, I'd say. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> not the um, first time we've and... heard this on this show. No, exactly. <laughs> And, People get uh, often also... promoted into those roles when they have opinions, apparently. It's a trend. Sorry, Steph. But I also know, like, it was my first turn at, at uh, joining a cinematic team for, for gameplay. And I felt that this, the cinematic director had too much on their shoulders. Uh, like they had to go to the script process. They had to know what was going on in, in, in gameplay, uh, how, how the scene works with the... the the, the, the quest that you might have before. And while I was working, I was getting scenes and our, our director sometime wasn't there. So I go see the, the designers and say like, okay, I got this mocap. So what happens in, in, your, in your quest exactly? And then they would look at the mocap and go like, but that's not, that's not what we asked for. That's not what we thought we needed. Mm. So I realized there was like uh, the, the telephone game kind of thing happening between mm. what the, the quest designers asked for, what the directors came up during script lock, and then what would be shot at the mocap. Plus, often I had mocap where suddenly would turn right, walk into a wall while the, the door was actually on the left type of thing. <laughs> yeah. So I said, you know what? How about I go to the, to the mocap studio with you? I'll export the sets. It, we didn't do that back then. Usually we just had a small mocap studio and we we're just happy to have mocap. I was like, we have the technology now. We can uh, like put markers on where the freaking mm. doors are and have the right distance. I had a scene that was in a prison cell that was like this big, and they shot the whole mocap on the whole floor on the studio the mocap floor. So I had to like chop my scene. And back then we didn't have uh, uh, non-linear editing. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you would cop, uh, cut your mocap, it's gone. So I was like, okay, I hope you like your cameras here because <laughs> once I cut it, it's gone. I'm not, I'm not doing this again. Again, very opinionated and <laughs> stood my ground. Uh, and I was like, okay, she, she likes results. Uh, I, I guess uh, once I went to the mocap studio, he appreciated the help. And sometimes I would tell him, maybe that would help if uh, the wall, uh, we could do this and that. And he said, you know what? Just do one chapter. Go do it. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, owe, I owe him a lot for this opportunity. It's it, it's funny because my my introduction to directing uh, actors is exactly the, the the same. I was in a production more in charge of the cinematic, but you know they were hiring a you know very experienced Hollywood director to direct actors, and you know the performance was fine, but the blocking was a mess, like mm -hmm. exactly as you describe. 
and I think it's on the second or third shoot, say, would you mind just go and see what's going on? <laughs> and then when I got there, I was like, okay, but poor director, he has no idea. Uh, yes, he's receiving like the day before an image of the set and mm. the line. He's going to focus on performance. But, you know, actors have so many questions during the suit. Oh, what about this door? Is it on this side or this side? How much space do I... And the, you know, and you have a certain amount of hours. So they were just, well, we're going to improvise and, you know, they mm -hmm. will figure it out. And that's the part when you realize that, no, no, the, the, they will figure it out part is going to be very long, very frustrating and very expensive. So let's have someone from this team of... Yeah, exactly. Or on set. <laughs> yeah. Someone who would be doing the figuring out so they can actually avoid the work that they would have to clean up later, right? Yeah, yeah that's key. Exactly. So when you started, Stephanie, were you alone or you, you were kind of assistant director or did you have someone to assist you? How did, did those first experience uh, arrive? Because it can be pretty stressful at first when you're when you're starting. I was assistant, assistant director for a, a bunch of ACs. Like even for AC3, when he said you have uh, that chapter, he was still at the mocap studio with me. He said, I'll okay. be there if something goes wrong. Um, but afterwards, I assisted the directors, uh, Sylvain Bernard on Unity, uh, mm -hmm. Rami Belanger on Syndicate, uh, Felix Etienne-Roch on Origins. <laughs> and then when we went to the, uh, ex uh, the Hidden Ones expansion, I got to be director on the expansion. It was really fun. <laughs> we we'd had we had very little time and was like okay we need we want to make sure we have something uh, that has quality uh, but expansions don't have the same budget as uh, big games and they don't have the same time as big games so we tried to be as efficient as possible and try to write, find the right balance for for quality and, and the amount of content so that was really fun so plus what, also what the it? actors already know their their roles since they all they did all that the games, so, so I was like, "What do you think for for this scene?" So that was fun. And uh, just quick question, because in in your title right now it says cinematic design director. Can you just clarify <laughs> how how this compare to just cinematic director, or is this just another name to describe the same thing? Um, because my, my title actually changed when I once I went to Valhalla, uh, because uh, after Origins. Uh, Odyssey, the Quebec studio, came up with the dialogue editor, which is a sequencer to create interactive uh, cinematics, mm. uh, like you have in The Witcher or uh, the mm. Mass Effect games. Mm. And like for a long time, once I, once I joined uh, AC3 and started working with Motion Builder and saw sequencers, I'm like, we have so many cutscenes. There are just two people standing and talking, giving information. Oh, you have to go get that many chickens. Um, why do we go to mocap for that? That's, that's very expensive chickens. Um, so I was like, we should, we should be able to reuse some animation and things like that. And while we were working on origins, I was seeing the progress done on Odyssey. I was like, oh, this is so cool. This is so cool. Like there's so many things we could do with that. Of course, we may not reach for now the, the cinematic quality of fully mocap scenes, but the amount of content we can do. Mm. Um, so this is the mandate I took once I, I was over to Valhalla. I was like, okay, give me sin, the sin design, the dialogue editor. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm going to push the quality on this. Uh, I, I had so many ideas of what we could do with it. Uh, we made 17 hours of cutscenes with a lot. Uh, the, the, the dialogue editor. 
And that I'm not counting the stuff that's auto-generated, that's completely mm. systemic. Uh, but the 17 hours uh, we did over with a bunch of people in Sofia, in Singapore, Montreal, Quebec even helped. Um, and they all handcrafted most of them. Not, wow. Nothing in there was auto-generated. Auto-generated people were like picking the right gesture, placing at the right timing, putting a blink at the right time. 17 hours is ridiculous. <laughs> that is like games. There are games out there that don't last anywhere close to that. Games, entire content. And this is just the freaking these these gameplay based moments like it's crazy. Um, I it's it's interesting. Quick shout out to anybody who knows or might even have worked or currently works um, with um, uh, with the, the Witcher team, because honestly, it, it still remains a reference to this day as far as how to remove the talking head effect that Stephanie was talking about and try to give a, a bit more of a performance, an actual narrative moment. Um, and if you take a good look at Witcher, um, um, you'll see that there's a there's a formula to it. It's not rocket science. It just requires a will to sort of build a, a a pipeline that can sort of manufacture these things in an efficient way. But they are really well done, and they really did. I think there was a huge milestone there because it really shifted the way these kind of moments in games are portrayed. And, and it segues into an interesting topic. I want you touched on earlier this um, the fact that you worked for the at the beginning. You worked for the sort of I, I don't know what you called it. It was like the cinematic department, and it changed names a few times. Ubisoft was known, um, and it was kind of a radical idea at the time. Their own indiv indi like it was like a their own individual department, kind of like almost like their own studio. What was it called at the beginning? What was the first name of this? I can't the remember. The cinematic studio. Oh, okay, okay, but it went through <laughs> a couple different names, right? Uh, it switched to UDA. UDA, uh, that's Ubisoft. The one I remember. Digital arts, I think, wasn't it? Digital oh, arts, digital yeah. yeah. Which is the same as Union des Artistes in Quebec, so it was super confusing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but afterwards, awesome. once they stopped doing uh, pre-rendered stuff, or they changed mandate, I think it was Ubix for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. They're called Helix. They still oh, wow. Exist. Okay. Another brand. That's, they but still they, okay, they but, but they shut down sometimes and then they rebrand like they rebrand and relaunched. It was really like its own company inside of Ubisoft. And I remember when I was there, they were down on like the bottom floor. They were like in the basement. They were like the dungeon dwellers. And the reason why I wanted to bring why I wanted to bring that up is because you you hinted at the idea that um that day that you got that notice, you just you just put a, an offer on a on a condo and you're like, oh, great timing. They're shutting my department down. Um, a lot of that now, my experience at Ubisoft, and I'm curious what your opinion is on this um, in general, and I, it doesn't have to be a Ubisoft thing. I th think this was a very industry wide thing. The waxing and waning of favor when it comes to narrative moments in a game. Because I remember back in the day, there was a suddenly at that time when they were trying to shift away from pre rendered, there was a bunch of reasons for it. And one of the reasons was, of course, that it felt like there was a, there was a, there was a rift in the sort of the, the it's, it's connection with the game. And there was a bunch of other things. Um, I feel Feel like witcher is a good example of a game that would come out and show that it can be done and you can have these nice narrative moments and it doesn't feel like a sidebar to the experience like which like how do you feel about all this like this like narrative in games like what's the best way to go and and like just sort of trying to have um sort of uh what, what's your what's your perspective on the fact that it, the, the wind seems to always blow in different directions on that opinion i know it's a big topic <laughs> Yeah, it changes with time. I've seen no. I've seen both. Like at Ubisoft, we're like, okay, we don't want to have any cinematics anymore. We want systemic. We don't want to see any more yeah. of that. And 
then you're like, okay, well, here's your cinematic budget. And then they, they make the game and then they go like, we have yeah, like exactly. five yeah. more minutes or maybe just more five more minutes or like for um, a game that had cinematics fully rendered, like the last one was uh, Origin, only uh, fully mocap cinematic. I think we did three hours, 15 minutes, something like that. Uh, that was huge. At the time, um, that would have been big. And a, a big scene used to be uh, like two minutes. That That's a huge scene when you have a two-minute scene uh, for uh, pre, uh, not pre-rendered, but uh, fully mocap. And I was in some script blocks for Valhalla. And sometimes I had a scene design scene that was about 10 minutes. And I was like raising my hands. Like, you guys remember when two minutes was a long scene, right? So I think we could maybe make that one a bit shorter. <laughs> it might be more interesting. <laughs> so it, it really depends also on the, the tools that you have. So yeah, I'm guessing sure. they felt that mocap was expensive. So we need to, 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 to shorten yeah. our cinematics. Okay, we have a magic button that's called Syndesign. They know it's not magic anymore. Uh, but uh, Wait, so now they did they, 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 the, the scope of uh, n- uh, narration kind of exploded. Right. Yeah. yeah because, it, because it's no longer so cost prohibitive as, as far as they're concerned. Interesting. Because I feel like this, because you the way you described your role now as like, what was the title again? The official one? The, the uh, cinematic... cinematic Design uh, okay. Director. Director. Okay. Um, it feels like it's obviously to it, like that kind of narrative in the game is woven a bit more into the gameplay itself. Like some of them are brief moments of dialogue and sometimes it's not like the classic old school we cut away. Like, and when I say classic old school, I'm thinking Final Fantasy where like they would be like, literally you would cut to this epic, like pre-rendered an- animation. Like the, that's the classic style of of, of uh, narrative or cutscenes in games. The cutscenes in games now, it's not really a thing in a way. It's like they, there's different ingredients of narrative and it seems like you're dealing with a very specific type of narrative in the game we had some rules where we thought that sin design we could bring uh the scenes up to a certain level of quality but sometimes Mm -hmm. we felt like okay this might be better off as a a full cinematic with mocap anything that was extremely emotional everything that had a, a, a lot of action in it right but at first, it was really to get all these scenes where, please go get three sheep. Uh, my, they stole my sheep or things like that. The classic sheep uh, quest, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then we realized we could, we could take on more and more. Uh, even at the beginning, I was like, you know what? This scene, I think we can do it in scene design. And directors mm. weren't too sure. Like, no, no, no <laughs> we're going to give it to cinematics. I'm like, you're busting through your cinematic budget really fast mm. right now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. and afterwards, a creative director came and seemed like, you know what? We could have, now that I see what scene design can do, yeah. uh, we could have given you these scenes. So Steph, if we just take a, a, a step back there, there might be some people in the audience that are not familiar with the entire these process. Terms. Yeah. So let's say from the beginning, maybe like reading the script to this, the sequence or the scene is in the game, it's in the box and you can move on. Could you describe from point A to final result? Uh, what is your uh, responsibility in, and you know, describing the, the, the production pipeline? Okay, so I do mostly the the interactive cinematics. So if we know it's a full-fledged cinematic, it's going to go to somebody else. Um, I sit down with the quest designers. Uh, We work with regions. Each region had territories. They had a a story arc to go with uh, their quest. 
uh, we would sit down with them. They had a budget of how many uh, scenes they were allowed to have. They had different levels of complexity and they had to make sure it fit. Um, at first, they, they would pitch us the ideas. Uh, we need this, we need that. Uh, we'd say, okay, that's not doable in CineDesign. Uh, you'd be better off with a cinematic for this or we'd find solution. Uh, what I really like is when some people pitch you an idea like, this is what we want. And like, like this, it would be a cinematic, but what's the essence of what they want? And then you pitch back an idea saying, would that work for you? This mm. is something we can do. And they say, yeah, yeah, that works for us. Okay, so we can keep it CineDesign. Um, so we do that. Uh, afterwards, we go through the script lock process where they write the scenes. Um, a bunch of directors uh, sit together. We actually, we don't sit together anymore because COVID and all. Uh, and we had so much stuff, like I said, 17 hours of uh, just uh, design content. We would all read the script first and then reconvene, uh, make our comments, uh, like, Comments I would often say, like, if somebody has, like, four lines back-to-back, -back, it's boring. Like, you, you mm -hmm. feel it's, like, a one-person show, It's uh, which is, like, me talking right now. Um... <laughs> this is exhilarating. That's the only difference. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just curious, Steph. I imagine that for 17 hours, there was no storyboard uh, process in, involved for those. Uh, we did some teeny storyboards for some of the, uh, when you, you kill people. I call them the kill groups. Uh, and in that dark place uh, because they were fancier and we got a bit more artsy on those. Uh, but no, that's the thing. For 17 hours, we had a team of Cindesign. They're, they're like Swiss knives. They have to be able to do their cameras. They have to be have a knowledge of animation, mm -hmm. uh, uh, staging and everything. So we have a lot of people on the team with different backgrounds and they, they review each other's scenes. Uh, they give feedback. Some people are better with cameras, some are better with animation. Um, and, and they give each other feedback and they kind of grow and learn from each other. Yeah. And I'm just curious for the animation, is it a library or a procedural animation that is used? It's a, it's a library. Uh, we, we went to the mocap studio, we busted the mocap record for one day of shooting with all the idols we were doing, gestures. Uh, we have a bunch of idols. And for each of the, that's more like an attitude, a position that the mm. players keep. And for each of these idols, we have gestures we yeah. can that we can add on top of them. Uh, we have transition from one idol to another. Uh, that's also some. So that's why my my when I said I would have liked to do gameplay animation, I kind of get to do it here. Kind of do, yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. Interesting. So that seems like a daunting task. So basically the process is you got you sit down with a bunch of other stakeholders and look at like the game script pretty much, yeah. all the, the narrative-like content, and you do some sort of triage. You say, okay, so all these little beats, there's a lot of these little narrative beats. What ingredient are they? You need to discuss as a group. Who, how would it be best displayed in the game? Like you said, if it's super emotional and very complex, it probably needs to go to cinematics. It's an actual cutscene. That way, the game has the ability to control essentially everything from the camera to like all of the content. It's very specific. Where you live in this more sort of procedural world where you're trying to tell something in a way that's 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 you know. I'm not going to say procedural. 
Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, it's a it's a I bank by, of existing animation because procedural right. is really systemic and that's something different. Yeah. No, okay. So I'll change the word procedural and I'll use the word real time. Basically, the okay. idea is that it's not a pre-authored sequence that's only like set to play a very specific way. It's like there's more malleability, like because you but it's that's the tricky part, it's what you're saying. There's almost like a there if there's branching dialogue or other kinds of things, it's like things aren't necessarily always gonna it's interactive, like you the way you said earlier. If there's there are it's not going to be only played in one way right so and are there other ingredients though that could be considered in this little triaging sort of party that you do um are those the two main ones emotion uh, the importance of the scene also like you want to front load your cinematic usually at the beginning of the game and have some towards the end Right. Uh, yeah. And spacing it out. So it's not just too cutscene heavy. You want to space it. Yeah. Okay. makes sense. You try okay, to have so, a recipe, like maybe at yeah. the end of every big story arc, you get your big cinematic as a reward. Right. Uh, but we did some, some pretty big scenes with the, the dialogue editor uh, that didn't even yeah. have any interactivity. And I'm pretty happy with how far we were able to, to bring them. Uh, Steph, I'm curious. What about lip sync? That's not procedural either. That's the only procedural part. Okay, the because I was like, like 17 hours of lip sync by hand. <laughs> no, you guys no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's the part that's procedural. And that's the one where I have to like to, uh, <laughs> my instincts of, the, of what I did before, but we're still trying to improve it, but it's procedural. Yeah. And I, I say like, you know what, if the, the top of the face is interesting enough, maybe people yeah. won't notice when the, so for the top of the face, is that a library of emotion that you just slide in with procedural lip sync and library of motion for the uh, for the body? Uh, we have a library of expressions, uh, and we've added also what we call facial punctuation. So if we just want to have a little eye dart, uh, not eye dart, but eyebrows going up, a little mm-hmm. squint, something that's really fast, uh, a blink, just blinking. That's so many reviews on like, oh, the head's turning. Please put a blink. Mm-hmm. so many comments just saying that because <laughs> oh, yeah. these 17 hours uh it's 17 hours but i had to review all of them about that's crazy uh, a minimum of eight times each scene, yeah so. and what about the Sorry. integration in the engine is that the the same swiss knife uh team that is in charge of, of that the, as well um, so set up the scene animation camera and integration yeah, the the scene designer does the camera. Well, I, I did like half of what we do. Once we finish the script block, it goes to the scene designers. Uh, they set up the scene in the engine straight away. Uh, they get the characters. They do their blocking, uh, their staging, uh, their cameras. That's our first pass. Uh, we look at him like, okay, do I understand what's the point of the scene? Yes, we do. We, we don't put any acting at this point because we have robot voices and. It's so surprising what the actors might do. You might see a scene one way and then the actor will like change it when they they deliver mm. the performance. So I don't want people wasting too much time on giving too much attitude mm. to uh, a character while we're just blocking things around. And then when we get to second pass, now we have uh, the, the final audio and that's really inspiring to get really uh, a performance. And now it's making sure that the, the the blocks we pick of animations support yeah. the the audio that we hear as best you can because i mean it's a library after all right do you find yourself adding it's to a that big library, library. When you start... 
Yeah, I would imagine it's gotten quite big by now. Do you ever find yourself being like, oh, but this is too important. We just don't have a good fit. Can we go shoot something else? Do you ever find yourself? Okay. Which is why yeah. the library keeps getting bigger, I guess, yes. naturally. <laughs> well, I wonder, we, we like, have some room for that. Do you, what's the, like, I mean, I, I can imagine the tricky part of this big library and applying it to this singular performance, the trick is going to be knowing what's in it. So like, I think, um, like how, like what, what, how, like, are you, and maybe you're not allowed to talk about this if it's too proprietary, but I'm curious what the, what the, what the, the, the workflow looks like so that you can sort of leverage this library because otherwise I can have a million animations in a, in a, in a drive somewhere, but like, unless I can see them somehow and, and, oh, that's a good fit. Like, how does that process, what does that look like? Uh, at first, uh, it was just the names of the, the gestures. <laughs> so right. like, it, that was one of the first things uh, we said, like, okay, we need a previewer to see right. what the gesture yep. looks like. Um, I know we're still working on that previewer. People are like, oh, it's so laggy, but mm. I like to tell those people there wasn't a previewer before. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> Back in my day. Yeah, but it, yeah. it goes really fast. And at some point, I even told people, you know, if you don't know what to do during your lunch break, just go through the bank and kind <laughs> yeah. of get to know them. Because you, uh, you have to create yourself a mental a mental mm, Rolodex. Of, mm, uh, I exactly. imagine that those any designers after a couple of months, a couple of years, are like, oh, yeah, I remember this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Barely. Uh, sometimes I see in the chats that we have, we have team channels, and I have a sim designer saying, okay, I need something like a waving type of gesture. Um, but, uh, it's for this idol. Anybody have, uh, has an idea and like, oh, you could use this one. And it, they, they kind of have their, their favorites, hmm. but yeah, it, those. memory. What, what, was it, did you shut those with uh, actors or it's, uh, animators in a suit that, that just went actors. crazy for a day? We have actors. the whole bank that they shot for Odyssey. And hmm. we added to that, the bank that we shot for Valhalla. Oh, nice. Uh, for Odyssey, you had all these uh, Greek people talking like this, uh, <laughs> philosophically, right. uh, and then That's we funny. added our big brutes for uh, Valhalla, lots of uh, throne and drinking. That's so, not fair. I'm sure the... there were some very sophisticated Vikings back in the day. I'm sure there were at least a couple. Oh, yeah, Seems we, a little we unfair to paint them all we with the paintbrush. So. so that's why we what? keep the, the whole thing. Clearly. That's funny. Uh, so Steph, you, you mentioned something and it, it's funny because whatever tools we have, like literally two weeks after we'll be unsatisfied with those tools and we'll want the shiny <laughs> thing. Uh, how did you, cause you've been there for a while. How, how have you seen this entire process evolve, uh, uh, over time? Cause even if in the beginning you were not, it's been at least 10 years that, that, that you've been more involved with the, uh, cinematic. So are there some trends, some important either tools or uh, workflow or things that you're like, oh, we used to do it thisly, but we realized that that doesn't make sense. And we changed our, uh, work, workflow. Um, every change seems really organic at the time and felt like this is where we were like the, the first cinematics that I did were fully, uh, keyframed. Uh, hmm. there was no mocap. Um, like I said, I started working more with mocap once I switched to AC three in game. Uh, one of the big things that we, the big new technology we had back then was mocam, uh, uh soft Fred might remember mocam. Oh yeah, nope. definitely. Okay, <laughs> a, a software to do lip sync uh, through uh, machine learning. 
uh, I was like, yeah, sure. I'm not too sure, but it, it was really cool. Once you learn how to use it, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. but the machine doesn't learn the same way animators do. So we mm -hmm. had to change the rigs. Um, all our, like some of our uh, reflexes as animator to, to, to work with that software were completely wrong. It would actually screw up the data. So we had to rethink how we would set up, uh, tell the machine how to learn uh, to animate lip sync to get good. Um, and we still use mocam for, for the cinematics. They, they still use it to be able to, uh, and it's not just lip sync, it's also facial performance to capture that. Uh, after that, I'd say that the big step would be uh, the sim design. That's a yeah. big step. Uh, so the but next one, I'm not sure what it is. Sim, sim design is not, it's not new. It just, it, I think it's got a new face. Ubisoft, like, it's new. Yeah, but I mean, it, like we, they've tried to do it before. I think what's interesting now is it seems to be that you found a good recipe, so that's why you're seeing 17 hours being done because a <laughs> more 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 efficient, and b they don't look like like really terrible like broken Frankenstein's. But like I mean, because I remember you know you know this is this is something that games have tried. I've been trying to do it for a really long time, and they often look kind of like these discombobulated characters that are trying to do like try to sort of simulate their talking, uh, or they just look like really simply keep it safe and it's just now it's just talking heads but that's not really interesting so like i mean have you seen like what what do you did you work on a game before these games where you had to use a different set of tools and it didn't work out as well we tried to do it on origins okay and it didn't work as well what was missing um uh the quality uh, okay, it but too like, bad. <laughs> uh, right. It's not it on. Was... Or it's not in the game right now. Like we changed our yeah. mind halfway through. Like, yeah. no, we can't do that. Um, actually, I kind of mea culpa on this one. Like we were looking at it, and I I play a lot of um, uh, MMOs where the quality <laughs> of uh, see, it's often like lower than what people are used to in uh, action RPGs, yeah. uh, like uh, True story. assassins. So when they tried to do a system like that, where we had these uh, kind of automated mm. scenes that were yeah. quick, uh, and the camera was cutting between, I'm like, yeah, sure, I see that all the time. <laughs> and then some uh, animation directors and. Um, and uh, artistic directors were like, no, 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 we can't go that close. We're like, well, I see that all the time, but we don't see that all the time in yeah, our game. In that context, so yeah. So that was a big learning on my part. I'm mm. like, okay, mm. it's not because it's done somewhere else and that you're fine with it. You have to fit with what works in your game. So on the topic of specificity, though, I'm just wondering, like, what specific change then? Like, what was the big aha moment that allowed you to like the, the, the systems to become uh, to a point where uh, they are now capable in your mind to be able to stand next to these cutscenes in a game like uh, Assassin's? Like, what was the main thing? Was it a workflow thing? Was it just shooting better data? Was it both of those things combined? Uh, the, the tool that they created in Quebec, okay. the, the dialogue editor was freaking okay. awesome. Like they were okay. working while we were working on Odyssey, not Odyssey, on Origins. And I was seeing okay. what they were doing and I was like, this is what we need. Like, this is what we needed if we wanted to do the, the, these systemic scenes that you wanted right. to think. Of. But it was too late and we were shipping before them. Mm. It wouldn't have been ready in time. Uh, the tool that they created is freaking awesome. Awesome. So, I, I assume it's like timeline based, that. probably, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a sequencer. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
they, 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 and they inspire, they got their inspiration from a CD Red project. They look at massive, okay. they, they, they really did their, uh, their homework on this nice. one. Um, and when we saw that, and I know the intention was that was to have more like, uh, fully, um, not fully, but the generated stuff. That was the intention at first. Right. Uh, but then you realize, well, there are limits to auto generation. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I don't Which know. is why you I, want to I, stay away from the word procedural, because it's certainly not yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> there's, well, these are performances that you're stitching together, essentially. Being opinionated. To... I, yeah, <laughs> when I put the mandate <laughs> on Valhalla, I was like, okay, give me some design. Give me some design, but yeah. do it by my rules. And I yeah. said, I don't want to hit the auto-generate button. And it, well, we, we do it sometimes, but just to get our cameras in the right spot. But like... Everybody, I said, I want everybody to place a gesture. If a gesture is somewhere, it's because you thought about it. And there's a reason behind that. So for every turn of the head, for every almost blink uh, gesture that you see in Valhalla right now, uh, somebody really thought, and like, okay, I'm really going to put this one. I choose this one over this one. And I'm going to shirt the time, the apex of that gesture. So it's right on the word. <laughs> So uh, that's the approach that we took. Interesting. Yeah. So it's more the, the use of the tool than yeah. getting, becoming familiar with, uh, uh, with it. Um, it's how you use it also. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. the tool and how you decide to use it. Yeah. Um, I'd like to shift gear a, a little bit. There, there's something, uh, especially in, uh, I mean, games are notorious for crunch time. Uh, right. And that's something, I mean, even, of course, Brent and I uh, uh, went through it, but I, I'm just curious uh, how, and when we say crunch time, it can be like crazy hours with might lead to exhaustion and some time to, to burn out and all that. How did you manage on your side? Uh, do, do you think, do, do you feel that, you know, um, uh, the production team at, at uh, Ubisoft were very reasonable, so there was a very minimal overtime, or have you been doing a lot of overtime yourself, but manage it in a way that was never a, a, a problem? Uh, what, what, what's your thoughts about it in, uh, in general? Uh, I'd say in the early days, I did a lot of crunch time, mm. uh, but I was I'd say at the bottom of the, the l'échelle. Mm -hmm. Bottom of the ladder. Just Bottom of the ladder, the ladder. merci. <laughs> um, so, and I had to prove myself. So I, I was always doing that extra work. Um, I'd say, uh, I think, <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong. Some of my sim designers are watching right now. So they'll Probably. tell you if I'm saying, if I'm lying. But the sim design team didn't have to crunch too much on the latest project. <clears throat> and I, I really tried to make it. Uh, so like when I gave feedback, I always tried to say, uh, think, okay, that person has this amount of time to do mm. the shot and the game's going to ship no matter what. Like, so, that's, so, and, and it, it's rarely sin design that could say, oh, by the way, we're not pretty enough. So mm. you can't ship. I know I have no leverage there. So mm. I want to make sure that everybody's happy and that we reach um, yeah. a benchmark level. Uh, so well, I took the approach of like, I'm going to do the crunch time and I don't want the team to do the crunch time. Mm -hmm. um, I did it this time around, but now I have assistance for the next project because I can't do that again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay. But, uh, uh, 
no point on previous production that you felt like, okay, I really need a big break after this production because now I'm just, I'm just tired and I, and that's affecting my motivation, inspiration and so on. We always need a break after projects, but, uh, like I said, the crunch time wasn't too crazy on, on Valhalla. We did some crunch time on previous project and every time I take a position, it's because I want to make sure things are efficient. So I don't want crunch time and people find me annoying sometimes like I just want to make things on How time and be efficient <laughs> like okay like passion can go so far so let's keep our team happy Yay, <laughs> a video bomb video bomb yeah that, that's I, I mean I think that every good director in a creative position needs to have a little bit of a producer's hat to kind of understand, okay, where are we at with the budget, with the deadline, how to not, you know, kill, kill people of overworking uh, them and all, and always keep the context of, uh, okay, let, let's be realistic with uh, those. Yes, we want to push quality. Yes, we are very passionate about what we're doing, but, you know, there, there's some, uh, a reality of production that, that needs to be uh, taken into uh, con consideration. So it, it seems that you very much have this uh, right brain, left brain kind of production on one side and quality hmm. and, and technical uh, aspect on the uh, other side. So that's, uh, that's great to hear. I've worked with some directors that don't care about deadlines. They just work. They, they just think about quality, quality. They said, yeah. Steph, my job is quality. I was like, I've heard that before as well. And I was like, uh, yeah, but if you're in charge of quality, you need to understand deadline and numbers because yeah. otherwise you're going to make irrational requests. And when the times yeah. come to make important requests, we won't have time anymore. So Yeah. It's so, like yeah. directors that are, I, you know, I, was, I always end up rolling my eye at directors that are like seeming like they even say it out loud that like, you know what? I don't care about the process. Yeah, they're they're, proud, I don't care about they're proud of it. It's yeah. But it's like, but you'd realize that like, just because you want these things doesn't mean that they're going to happen. You could, if you drive full blast in the direction you're going there and you don't care about what it's going to cost, you're going to, you're the whole engine's going to fall apart and then you're going to have nothing. And that's the thing I never really understood about some directors that are, like you said, they're kind of um, on this other tier and they don't, they don't, you know, they don't get their hands dirty and they don't really care about how it's going to get how the sausage is going to get made. But yeah, it's, um, I think it's a good balance to kind of always have that. I think I would imagine have being uh, a grunt in the industry for a while. This, of course, is something that give you that perspective, right? I would imagine, Steph, like, you know what it's like to get dumped on. You know what it's like to clean up these big messes. And so obviously you're trying to try to protect your team from the same kind of disaster. I think it's but like going through that ladder. Like every time I'd see, oh, there's a huge problem here. I think I have a solution. And then... I would kind of rise to the challenge to try to fix it. But every time you're put in that position to fix that problem, you yeah. often realize it's a bigger problem than you thought. Yeah. And there's yeah, more clearly. factors or like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. For sure. Oh, that's why it's like this. Ah, okay. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, every one but of those, every rung of the issue. ladder. But it's yeah, still an sure. issue. So it's, it doesn't mean that because it's a bigger issue that you shouldn't fix it. So yeah, uh, yeah. Because you, you often feel like, oh, if I be there instead of these directors these producers this is what mm. i do this is what i do I'm like yeah, yeah they, not so easy they've got other pressure coming from the other side so 
Yeah, no, that's a very good point. That is something you always have to keep in mind. I think no matter where you are in a production or where you are on the ladder, for instance, you need to kind of, everyone's going through something, right? Everyone's dealing with something, some fire, probably multiple fires. They're just, they're ones that you don't know or they, because they magically get put out without you even knowing that they even existed. So it's like, it's not until you're in their shoes. I think the key is, of course, I think it's like you said, it's like keeping your eye on the prize and remembering that these are real fires and try to be, try to at least build some things into the workflow and the process that could be a bit more preventative when possible, because just because you stepped out of that fire doesn't mean that there are people still burning in it. So it's kind of nice to try to make sure that uh, there's some fire exits installed in all of the, uh, the hallways. Steph, uh, I'm curious, how did working from home uh, affected you, uh, especially in the beginning and how did you adjusted? Because I mean, I, I definitely when you're in a position that, you know, there's a lot of people that rely on you and you have a team and you need to communicate and you need to that that's something that must have been challenging at uh, at first how did you uh, went through it actually was helpful it was really mm -hmm. helpful because when the pandemic hit we were like closing valhalla we were just doing reviews 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 so uh would open the scenes look at them and it takes you like 15 minutes to review or 30 minutes to, I was at the point at Ubisoft where I was uh, booking a meeting room. We had these teeny meeting rooms where I could like be in a cubicle and not be bothered for like a day or two to be able to do all my reviews because that's the thing. I didn't, I wanted to make sure I gave feedback in time so people could do uh, yeah. the, the, the corrections. And like, if I want something to be done, I need to give it in time. Uh, so working from home actually really helped because it was very comfy and I, I ended up I shipped the game by working like afternoons and nights because in the morning I was uh, playing with my daughter um, but it, it helped me keep focused I, I guess I didn't see the first part of the confinement because I was like super focused on shipping I saw it more afterwards when we started talking about new projects and when more brainstorming is involved that's where it's a, it's a bit trickier. That's where mm -hmm. I like to be sitting down with yeah. people and bounce off ideas. But in production, working from home is freaking awesome. Yeah. What, what will be the best case scenario for you moving forward? Uh, and let's, we are in a future that COVID isn't no there COVID. anymore. And, yeah. and most Ubisoft, like most studio, will provide a flexible, uh, you know, what, what would be the uh, best structure? You uh, think hybrid. Hybrid. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd say would, when we start uh, a production, then we spend maybe more time together uh, at, at the studio to, to, to bounce off ideas and things like that, to get to know the team as well. Because that's the nice part. I'd say we did most of the beginning together, and then we just finished it uh, from home. So we already knew each other. Uh, it's a bit more difficult when you start a project and some people join in and like you've never seen them uh, having proximity we went to to meet the sofia team uh before the project and just that live uh, in, uh interaction with them yeah. you build a connection so i would keep that um i should have gone to see the singapore scene uh, team that's that's on my to-do list when i can oh it would be so terrible <laughs> to fly all the way there too <laughs> um but uh once we're in production maybe like i'm i would be at the studio once a week 
twice a week, like to get a few things done. But if I have to do that many reviews, it, it's great to be from home. You need quiet. And I was much more productive. Yeah. And how did you manage uh, doing all this from home with a, a four-year-old daughter <laughs> as well? That must have been at home as well, at least for some period of time. Because I've been myself in reviews with, you know, directors or clients and just with kids running around and like, oh, my God, poor parents. How do they manage? To <laughs> There's a certain age that you're like, oh, my God, that must have been a big challenge. Uh, we had a system and I, we kind of were lucky because my boyfriend was working at Google at the time and Google was the place to work during a pandemic and confinement. It was like, oh, you need to work half weeks. Fine. We'll pay you the full week and things like that. So he would take care of our daughter in, in the morning and I would even like do, uh, she would uh, sleep at the time she would have a nap time. I would nap with her. Mm. So this way I'd be able to, uh, work afternoons and evenings uh he yeah. would like put her to bed and everything but from i don't know she would wake up at what three from three to midnight or one that was shipping time for me yeah hmm. do, do, do you feel that overall you had more time with her than if there was no pandemic and you had to go every day in and out of the uh, at the studio i try to remind myself that like i'm so lucky to have spent time with my kid Uh, because of the pandemic, but now I've been with her for a month now, and I wish there was school today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no shame in that. Uh, there's no shame in that. It's I think being honest with yourself is really important. Because man, oh man, I agree. It's like such a balance. It's like it's bittersweet, right? It's like this beautiful time that you normally would have not, totally lost out on, but like you know, small doses, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'd say it's the lack of personal time. I yeah, wanted her yeah. to have a good time. I needed to do my job. Yeah. Nothing left. Yeah. Mommy. Yeah. Like I feel like the, th the difference is it's, it's not even necessarily about more or less time. I feel like it's different because it's like you get to see them during the day as opposed to after you working a whole day, being exhausted, coming home and right before bed, they're grumpy, you're grumpy. And it's like, is that quality time? No, but quality, but time like at lunch, hanging out when they're at their highest spirits and hopefully you have some energy. This is definitely way more valuable than what most parents have had to deal with for years and years and years before this. So it's uh, yeah. Interesting. A bit of a really, really cool stuff during a pandemic. We did a, a, a full scale, uh, a life scale um, snakes and ladders. Oh, nice. With tiles oh, in the cool. room. And my, my boyfriend said, that actually, that's actually good game design we're doing. <laughs> Future game designer, look out. Yeah, it, and it's so many forts. There have been so many forts over this pandemic, like the number of forts. And I keep seeing like parents taking pictures of their like kids forts that have been just come. I think Gaelic had, had put one just recently and it was just epic. It was like an entire room. Oh, um, it was awesome. So yeah, <laughs> shout out to all the kids out there. Good job, fort, ma fort makers. Uh, They're making Stephen, forts uh, outside now. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, perfect day today with the, uh, the, the yeah. snowstorm. Yeah, we got uh, dumped on over here. Another big announcement, uh, Steph, from uh, Ubisoft in the the past few weeks, or maybe it's a bit, a little bit more uh, than that, is the uh, six weeks vacation uh, mm. policy. Uh, can you? And that seems to be. And okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, but that seems to be a. I mean, there's a, a Eidos Montreal that, that uh, started to say, okay, four uh, four days a week. Then we have uh, Ubisoft that kind of doubled on in a different way with more paid vacation. And it seems that studio and the industry in general is kind of trying to 
adjust to the the newer reality. Do you have any in inside information of what led to uh, provide six weeks of vacation? Because that's really generous for. Well, they you know, can't find people, the right? There's a yeah. huge problem with recruiting right now. Yeah. So they need to. It's it's crazy compared to when we started in the mm. industry, where like all the studio mm. were closing, and it was like uh, you have to be the best and a doggy dog almost <laughs> type of thing to get a, a, yeah. a job. Now it feels more like if you have somebody in an interview, it feels more like I'm being interviewed. Yeah. And they're like, okay, so True. what do you have for me? Yeah. I was like, this is, and it's, I can see a, a, a clash maybe of culture for some people would be like, okay, you need to show be all you can be. And like, you have to impress and things like that. And then you have people going like, yeah, but what if I don't want to be here in one year? Like, <laughs> people wow, are actually saying that in interviews right now. It's surprising, but yeah. it throws you off. Mm. Uh, but uh, that's something I never would have said in any of my interviews. Like, I would have felt bad. So there, there's a shift going on. So we, yeah. we need to adjust. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's the French culture of Ubisoft or if it's because it's in Montreal, but you know, most studio, we would imagine that, oh, you have a difficulty to hire more people, just provide higher salaries. Yeah. And so the base vacation is kind of the same thing. They did raise the salaries, thing, by but, the way. Okay, on top of that. So it's... Wow. They, they raise the salaries. We, we raise the salary, we give more, please come, we have a lot of games to do. And they got a, a really cool mm. policy now for, um, for a parental leave. Uh, I don't want to say it wrong, but Mm. like, uh, it might be wrong. So disclaimer, because I'm already a mom and I'm not going to be a mom again. So this one doesn't apply to me, but (laughs) your parents, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, uh, it's something like when you go on parental leave, the the government will give you 70% of your salary, but up to a certain salary. So you're kind of blocked. But now Ubisoft, Ubisoft will it. give you 70%. It's going to cover. Uh, oh, yeah. They'll cap. I think that's bill. the one. That yeah. sounds about right. There's a bunch of other studios that do the same thing. So that's, yeah. that sounds probably on the money, um, which is awesome. Because, I mean, lot most companies don't do that. They, they don't top you up like that. But uh, that's awesome. And it's a good incentive also for uh, for guys to take their parental leave. Yeah, that's because what a lot of sometimes exactly when you do the, the the top salary in the couple, you're like, well, I better keep working because we're just gonna have seventy percent and plus of a maximum salary. Mm. So now now I think that's really interesting. Yeah, we're we're super lucky in 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 Canada. I would say in in general to have those. Yeah, all the Americans right now are just like, I hate you so much. <laughs> we're we're losing all, all of them uh, rapidly. They're just yeah. disappeared. Uh, Brent, fly, time is flying, and I yeah, see a I lot know. of question in the in we the have chat. A t- Ton so of questions let's... piling up. I can yeah. come back. It was fun. Yeah, so. we we might just have to do that. But don't don't ever. I always warn our guests not to say it because as soon as you used to say that, it's like it's my done. hooks. My hooks are sent out. I've already emailed you. Check your inbox. Just kidding. Um, so let's see here. I'm scanning, looking for one. Uh, here's one by our one and only Daryl Purdy. Is each character performance create, oh, by, created by hand by an artist? I think this kind of got covered um, because you're talking about the sequencer and how like you're you choosing the different things from the library. So I, I think I'd like I to say that, it handcrafted. 
Yeah. We pick blocks and put them no. together, but there's yeah. no auto generation. Right. Valhalla. Like someone needs to populate that timeline by carefully choosing yeah. the right clips and the right postures, the right transitions and the right gestures. Okay. Uh, it might be see. different for other studios, but that's how we did it for Valhalla. Um, here's one. This is from Scott. Where do you fit in time <laughs> to play games? It's a very good question. Uh, I think it's I, when you you said you play online games. He was probably like, um, online games are like notoriously time sync. So how does she do that? Being a mom and being so obviously uh, I, busy. I played Final Fantasy Online uh, 14. It's oh, is that what you're doing now? It's your go-to. Okay, muggle. It's there in the back. It's my go-to, and it's very time-consuming. So I can't say I played that many games. I tend to mm -hmm. see reviews on YouTube and things like that. But I I, I stopped playing. Uh, before we, we went through the shipping of Valhalla. And I just mm. started again, uh, I think maybe four months ago. Oh, yeah, so, got back up on the horse. I yeah, used to be a big Guild Wars fan, if I remember correctly. Used to play a lot of Guild no, Wars. No, it was, well, I like Guild Wars, but it was between Final Fantasies and oh. other. Oh, okay. I see. Like, it was, it was like a rebound fine, game. But like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a rebound game, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of those in World War, uh, War uh, in, in, in especially um, in online games. There was a lot, there's been a lot of those in the history of people have been played at like EverQuest back in the day. There was always a game that would come out that would sort of bridge between the next really big one. It's so funny. I think Dark Age of Camelot is coming in my brain right now. Um, I, I would. Yeah, there you go. I so quick, quick topic. A little, a little add-on to this question: How important is it to make sure you find time? I mean, you work in the game industry, right? And so, like a lot of people talk about how like it's important that you stay connected to the actual culture of games. Like in your mind, is it like important to try to find time to celebrate games, or do you feel like maybe you just played enough in your life and it's not as important? I think it's important. Do I have mm -hmm. time to do it? I yeah, gotta pick sure. my priorities to yeah. some extent. I think I have a, a young kid, so I'm gonna blame it on that. Uh, plus shipping the whole thing. But if we get downtime, and and I'm the kind of person that doesn't get that much downtime. I I don't like not having stuff to do. Uh, right, right now, I felt I wasn't doing enough uh, at Ubisoft, so I said like, Hey, do you need help on this project? It's like, Yeah, sure, come on. So. There goes my downtime. So, so Steph, you've um, never been in Interprojet. <laughs> nope, nope, I've never been in Interprojet. <laughs> never, never the sad room, huh? Oh man. No, no, no. Um, uh, here's they always one. like suck me in a project. That's it. That's it. That some people are always like getting sucked in. Oh man, I, I hate it when we don't have enough space. Let me read it first. I'll put it back. Um, here's a question from Adrian B. You mentioned that being opinionated, I'm using air quotes, just like he did, helped you get put into a leadership role. Do you think that it's possible to lead the team where you, uh, uh, where you offer, sorry, do you think it's possible to lead a team where you offer suggestions rather than telling people exactly what to do most of the time? Or do you think it's very important that you say, do it this way? Like, is, I guess, where are you in the spectrum on, on that sort of director style? Um, I, I'm opinionated, but I, I try to not tell people, like, do this exactly. Mm. I try to say, this is the issue I'm seeing. This could be a way to fix it. If you have a better way of doing it, I'm all for it. Uh, if it's an easy fix, sometimes I say, try this, try that. But I always try to say why I'm giving a solution. So mm. people are understand what's my thought process and, and then I don't have to make that comment again and 
when I say opinionated, it was more the reverse when I had to deal with directors. And I was like, no, I really think this would, could work better. So mm -hmm. now that I'm a director, I, I work the other way around because I know there's mm -hmm. a bunch of opinionated people <laughs> under mm -hmm. me as well that yeah, might have that's... really great ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it's doing the balance. And sometimes people have super awesome ideas, but they don't work with the whole yeah. game. Like they, they would stand out too much. Like I really wish we could do it. I, I, you know what? I'm going to tell you, this is the scene would look kind of better like that, but it mm. wouldn't look like an Assassin's Valhalla scene. Mm. So that's where you have like to make tough comments. Okay, what can we keep from that? Uh, we, we tried to find a, a common ground and say, okay, now it works with the game. And we found out you're, you're, there's a bunch. That's what I like about sin design. We have to go so fast that, and we don't do storyboards or things like that. I, I pitch a few ideas sometimes for big scenes and some I don't give ideas at all. And they come up with something. And that's something I had to learn quickly that it's not because it's not what I had in mind that it doesn't work. I have to assess first if it works, then I give feedback. If it doesn't work, then I can say like, okay, you could try this or that and right. do a few suggestions, yeah. but it's not because it's not my idea that it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this, this question and how you uh, answered it because there's, there's this misconception that often being opinionated, op opinionated uh, and micromanaging is the same thing. And they yeah. are two completely different things. When you're opinionated, it means that first you're creative because you know you can have new ideas and you have confidence to express those ideas with uh, yeah. whoever is uh, around you as micromanagement is more like telling people exactly what to do you can micromanage even if you don't have a strong uh, opinion or, or on the or just as you describe you can have a lot of ideas and being very vocal but you're not going to tell people exactly how to do it you're more going to create a sandbox of okay here's uh, why it makes sense and then who has the best solution to, to to come for it yeah that's an important distinction i think the the idea of of you being opinionated is one thing but then how you actually like choose to mechanically act on those opinions is is the real that's the magic right is like can you still be collaborative and like offer your opinion but then talk about talk your way through some sort of you know um you know meeting of the minds and find some sort of middle ground um, is I think, you know, so in other words, you know, what you need to get out of this chat is for sure to make sure you, you don't not speak your mind, but like, but, but you need to also listen. And so there needs to be that balance. I think Steph put it nicely when she said she's looking for that balance in the middle. Like there's a time and a place for both. Sometimes directors have to be like, it has to go this way. And some, but whenever possible, they need to leave themselves open-minded and open, open-eared to, uh, to, to, to act on a really good idea that might be floating around. Um, Let's see here. I mean, I think I, I remember a creative director once said that that their their secret to success was their main skill was kn knowing a good idea when they heard one or heard one, and then and then finding a way of championing it, regardless of it, whether whether it was their idea. They have to be a merchant of good ideas. Where they can manufacture them, they can find them, whatever they need to do, because a game needs to be full of good ideas, no matter what. It doesn't matter where they come from. Um, this is a good one to ask. I would, this gets covered a lot on this, this show, but I think it's always nice to get the guests perspective on this because this is sort of this common thing that, um, sort of floats around in people's minds is self self doubt, this imposter syndrome, these kind of things like, you know, from your mind, Steph, I mean, have you dealt with these kind of feelings in the past and were like, what, what 
sort of tools have you used to sort of push through them? This idea of, you know, you know, earlier, obviously, is will I ever be good enough? But sometimes people in the job are wondering if they're good enough. Um, and they question their ability. What have you, uh, what, what kind of perspective do you have on this? I don't think it goes away, unfortunately. <laughs> that imposter <laughs> syndrome. Bad news. Uh, oh, I think I have the book. It's Omar that made us read this. Oh, let me see. Art and Fear. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Yep. In uh, this yep. one, I think there's a, an apprentice that asks mm. the, the master, like, uh, when do you know, like, that uh, you're good enough? And then the master says, like, <laughs> uh, when I know that I'll never be good enough yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you kind of find your flaws and try to assess them. Like, my, my, my blocking that I didn't know what it was. I, I didn't mm. know the, the art behind animation. I took animation mentor. Um, I still feel like a, a fraud sometime when I'm overlooking all these uh, cutscenes and saying, okay, maybe your camera here is not good. I'm like, I'm, I'm not a camera expert. I'm a person that put a lot of keyframes for a lot of time, but I have a certain sensibility to that. And I'm, I was learning in the process. So uh, other directors came uh, to help and they were giving feedback and I would like notice, oh, they, they tend to say that a lot. So I added that information to my repertoire and started giving feedback on this we're we're always learning unfortunately and it's something i had trouble with as well like once yeah. i do animation mentor now i'll know how things work. it oh yeah it's the kind magic of like bullet, a tylenol right? it helps for a, for a while <laughs> and then you hit you kind of hit another pattern like oh no there's more and there's more yeah. and there's more quick we I gotta think- call animation mentor and tell them we have a new slogan for them Animation mentor, you know, it's it's like that, like a like a tile. I animate would have worked as well, but it didn't exist back then. Right. <laughs> it's uh, I think as any professional artist, you have to accept that you 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 will be vulnerable in 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 the workplace. You will not always be good. You will have to to learn. It, it just it is what it is. And as you said, Steph, you're you're one thing away of being great. And then you get there and like, oh, shit, now mm. there's another one, another one, another yeah. one. Yeah. And if you keep your ego uh, of the door and, you know, just are fine with being vulnerable and open to others and, and learn that that's how you're going to grow rapidly. Yeah. If you're like, oh, no, I you kind of pretend and you don't want to share and don't want to look bad and all that, you're going to stagnate pretty one hundred percent. If yeah. you can keep passionate about what you're doing, then mm-hmm. you can like brush off that imposter syndrome to some extent. Like, hey, I'm still learning; it's fine because I love yeah. this and I'm gonna grow more. I guess if I was stuck in something I didn't <laughs> like as much, then the imposter syndrome would creep much more into me. And like, yeah, okay, yeah. why am I doing this? Totally. Yeah, there's a commonality between your answers there that, that centered around this concept of growth. I often try to remind people that, 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 look, what you're feeling right now is growth and growth is good. And I then I then I tell them to go back and take a look at some work that they did a few years ago, you know, and then and then look at it and then feel the shame of how how bad it was back then. And then then go, hey, OK, but would you rather look at that and feel like it was really great? That would be bad because that means you haven't grown. So it's always a relative thing. You're always playing this game of catching up with yourself. And so just learn to embrace and, and, and enjoy that feeling because it means that you're going upwards, not sideways or downwards. Um. Okay, we have a big juicy one from Veronica I'm going to put up here. I don't know if it's going to fit. Let me see. Does it fit? 
Oh, it does. Good. Uh, this is a good one. It's very specific. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any funny anecdotes to sort of uh, throw it as I'm sure you do after 17 hours of content. I'm sure there was a couple of flubs. Uh, question. I've heard that game cinematics can sometimes break hard if something changes in gameplay engine console, uh, just some sort of update. Uh, what's the biggest something changed and now the cinematics have exploded moment you've uh, had on a project? Uh, I don't know. Or the one that left the deepest scar. That- the deepest scar is the Arnaud <laughs> with without a face where you could just see the eyes and the dentures. Oh, yeah. Good, good. It was, and it it sucks because like one of the best facial we did, I think. Um, of course. It was an advance for its time. Mm. I think mm. the facial on Unity, but it was a teensy bit too buggy to, to see the awesomeness. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think that this one was pretty much under the spotlight because I remember oh, seeing yeah. it on YouTube yeah, in yeah. a compilation. Oh, yeah. It went of, viral. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, during a live game, that's the kind of thing that could happen. But as we're doing the production, there's also like the script can change. There can be like a, a quest arc that's cut, and now your scene doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, yeah. We try to be more agile at uh, tackling these problems now. But uh, at, at first, sometimes we would just like cut a whole part of gameplay between two cutscenes where you, you'd have a cutscene, then you'd walk for 10 paces and then you'd have another cutscene. Like what happened? There used to be a huge mission between these two and now they're gone. So it would feel, it felt a bit weird, but they're like, oh. Yeah, it very much feels like a, a house of cards at time. But, oh, let me just remove this. Oh shit, all this fell. Yeah. Oh, we're just going to put this. Oh no, now it's. Honestly, there was an people... article on Kotaku saying like games are held together with duct tape. Because they are, they really quite literally like digital duct tape. I I would, I would say like, like for those who out there, who, for those in chat that are listening to this conversation or people who listen to this in the future, if you work in games, you know what we're talking about, but if you don't, it is a real quite, it's quite the spectacle to, to, to see when like people go and come in in the morning and there's some, some, something terrible has happened. And it's like some random check-in of a completely unrelated, well, seemingly unrelated thing in a completely different system and a different like neck, like something in the interface suddenly removes faces from characters. This happens on literally a regular basis in game dev. So a quick shout out to all the technical artists and all the the engineers that work in this industry, because I don't know how you find the the many needles and the many haystacks that are constantly popping up left, right, and center. But it really is quite, quite amazing to see people figure it out these these seemingly un- disconnected things i don't know how they do it but it's it's like that it's like house of cards is a perfect way to explain it some seemingly small change the whole thing comes down it's crazy um let's see i'm moving down the list here oh this one's from christine um do you feel more flexible with your employees working hours since this um this working from home shift and do you think that it's that it's there to stay post pandemic um Productivity, uh, productive in the morning versus night. So I, I guess basically, what do you think? What are your hopes? And what, like, you know, are you sensing a, a shifting change that's going to be sticking around for a while, or is it going to be there forever in your mind? I think uh, the need to have. Well, I would keep the need to have core hours where you know that you can reach people. Uh, mm. When I said that, I worked until one uh, a.m. For, for Valhalla, that was actually good because I was able to talk with the people in Singapore. So <laughs> I was able to talk with all the teams. And yep. I talked more with Singapore because of that. Um, <clears throat> but I'd say for Sin Design, like the Sin Designers, 
when we have juniors and they're ramping up, it's nicer to to be close to them. And uh, we they were the the ones that uh, came back to work uh, the quickest uh, because there's lots of things to to learn. Um, but the people that were more senior, they were very happy at home, just doing their thing. Um, <laughs> And uh, they, they didn't feel the need to come to work. And I didn't feel the need to ask them to come to work. Uh, they, they were outputting their stuff and they were able to ask questions to the people they needed. So, Do you think the toothpaste is ever going to get put back in a bottle though? Or is this like, is this the new normal? Do you think? I think hybrid. I mean, if you're, if you're a normal. betting person, do you think it should be the new normal? Hybrid, should, but for, for this, I, I see a lot of people in the production that... They only need to talk to people very few times a day or a week. Mm -hmm. So why why have these people? They they should come maybe sometime, just like I said, to meet people, to know we're alive and that we're not a generated yep. or I don't know mm. a deep fake person. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm a hologram uh, right now. I'm not even exactly. Here. <laughs> uh, just I'd say for team building, it would be nice to see the people sometimes, mm. but. Uh, I think it's more at a higher levels, directors, the people that do a lot of brainstorming. Uh, these people are going to have still to, to meet up uh, more. Yep. Uh, yep. But at the production level, I think you can do a lot from home. Yeah, I'm with you. I think That's it's, I think it's kind of here. Plan, actually. Well, there, I think the reason why this is still a hot topic um, is that there are some studios that do not feel that way. And they've been very public about trying to be, no, we're going back to as soon as we can. As soon as the government lets us, we're going to go back to the regular thing. And um, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's, it's, we've been speculating for a while now. We should have like a scoreboard of like where the bets are and like where it's going because it feels, it feels like it changes every day. But when you have big companies like Ubisoft and IDOS and a lot of these big ones in town that are like, nope, this is like, we're making a statement. This is what we're doing. You know, this is the way it's going to be now moving forward. I think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's interesting to see that all play out. Uh, I think that it's the, <clears throat> this hybrid approach is going to be vastly adopted by most yeah. studio. I think it's Me a too. it's a minority that will go a hundred percent remote and a hundred percent on site. What is interesting is how each studio are going to uh, adapt. Because one of the things that that you mentioned is that okay, let's still have core hours because okay, it's great that some want to work in the evening or on the weekend or they're but we need at some point to be able to know that this person, even if working from home, is going to be there if we need. Yeah. So maybe there'll be like, uh, uh, you know, a shorter period of core hours, let's say maybe from 10 to 2 or something like that, or just the afternoon or the, or the morning. And then the rest of the hours will be because, yes, when you kind of follow, follow your own rhythm or you're a morning person or you're an evening person or you're someone with, you know, uh, uh, no kids that can afford to do a few extra hours on the Sunday uh, to uh, to kind of help out. Um, but yeah, it, it's really how every studio and, and even some some sort of that we discuss. Okay, you do a meeting, you have eight uh, uh, you know artists at the studio and four at home. How do you deal with that? Because if it's in a meeting room and you have those four, eight person that are there live, and then you have a screen at the back with yeah. those four they're going to be left out. Forget about totally. them. It's almost like they don't exist. So does it mean that everyone, even those on site are all doing the meaning? They'll be beside each other, but in front of the screen. That, that's a part that I think is going to be very interesting to see how everyone's yeah. studio is uh, adapting. Yeah. And we're barely starting to see how that's going to, to happen. 
It's funny you mentioned that because I saw exactly that in the summertime when I was actually going into the studio. We were seeing a lot of people would choose to stay at their desks and meet. If there was a good number of people that were online, and it felt like the right thing to do. You know what I mean? It's funny because we've just not. It's we're just figuring it out as we go. And some studios are embracing it. Some studios are pushing back, trying other things. In some cases, people are even trying different technologies. We know there's people playing, spending billions of dollars in the space of how can you make these online um, sort of uh, moments of that, that be even more interactive. I think that I'm excited to see what that what 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 happens in that area because I think that there's obviously a market for it, and we'll see uh, we'll see how that plays out too. Um, we're at time, so I would just like yeah I don't know how we did that it felt like we blinked and it's it just sort of it's always goes so fast yeah it's the way it goes welcome to the black hole of time Stephanie we're we're, <laughs> we're happy to have you here thank you for taking the time um, and hanging out with us that was, was super awesome. fun thanks. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we, yeah, well, I will, I will definitely, um, try to make sure we lure you back though, to have a continued conversation. Yeah. That was great. That's what, thanks, we, that's what we do. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I'll see you both around. Cheers. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye, Bye chat. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Actually, I usually do my closing thing. I don't know why I said bye. Um, so that was a lot of fun. It was um, it was interesting to see yet another person who started off in animation. And as she said, like she specifically, she, it was interesting that she got into um, Ubisoft doing something very hyper specific, which was um, facial stuff. Um, and I remember, I remember watching and, and hearing stories from from Stephanie in the early days of MoCam. MoCam, we, we she, she she threw it out there. It's a proprietary technology that's a lot like facewear. Um, if you know what facewear is. Is. It's essentially like um, video-based capturing of, of facial performances, and it's evolved. And as a matter of fact, it's become almost a gold standard in many ways. I know Simon's in chat, and so he knows a lot about that. He specializes in the same thing. Um, I don't know if you caught that, uh, Stephanie, because Stephanie was avoiding chat the entire time because um, uh, she was trying to not be distracted by all the people that were going to be in there, obviously. So uh, just to, just a quick uh, mention, uh, I know that uh, Stephanie's still backstage. Uh, Simo says hi. He was uh, in there, in there uh, excited that you were on the stream today. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting to see her come in with a, such a specific... Um, she, she says hi back. I'm passing notes in class now. This is perfect. I... Um, and, and then it just grew into like, she just, you know, she started off in very cinematic oriented stuff. And then she was very curious um, naturally about the gameplay. And now she's straddling this interesting kind of like these, both these worlds, like this, it's, it's definitely very narrative and very cinematic, but it's also um, dabbling very much in the real time um, sort of, uh, you know, systems the same way gameplay does. Um, but, uh, you know, serving a different purpose. So it sounds like she's found her niche and she uh, seems to be having a lot of fun. I would like to very much thank everybody for being here today. We actually had a lot of people in chat, a lot of activity, a lot of questions. We always like that because, um, I, I, I mean, David and I ask ourselves constantly, you know, what are we going to do in the coming, you know, weeks and months and years to make sure that we're answering the question, why should someone show up live? Um, so I think that in my mind, the big thing is in a conversation like this is that I want to make sure that your voices are heard. So, you know, if you have questions or even have thoughts that are, you know, really interesting, um, maybe, maybe we'll even change the format. So it doesn't have to be a Q colon all the time. Maybe it's sometimes it's just like a, a thought T colon or something, something else, or an opinion, like we were talking about today that you might want to have, you know, come up. And so we can sort of discuss it. Um, but, uh, you know, the, we're, we are trying to answer that question on a regular basis. So please do try, you know, if you got some thoughts and you got some ideas, and you got some questions, please do. Don't, don't be shy. Just throw them in chat. But just don't forget to put, at least for now, the, the Q colon because it makes it easier to scan and find and, um, and, uh, 
enter it into the conversation. So thanks again for Stephanie. Thanks again for uh, David. Uh, thanks to you, chat. Stick around for the, uh, well, not don't actually stick around because it'll be a while, but uh, please do come back to our next, uh, our next conversation. We have um, actually next week, we have Alexis Wenneroy, um, and uh, they are involved, of course, with uh, the very hot topic of Arcane that's happening on, um, on uh, Monday the 24th at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard. We also have a Q&A tomorrow with David. It is going to be our regular sort of standard Q&A tomorrow uh, because we're going to be skipping one next week and then we're going to be coming back um, in February with some some new fresh um, sort of uh, content for you. So hope to see you then. Take care. Stay animated. See you around. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So. Until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.